Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. How are we doing this morning, Met Church? Awesome. I'm going to need that energy this morning. If you look at your bulletin, uh, you will notice that there are some places for you to take notes and there's some things on there, which I'm sure was going to be an amazing message by Pastor Bill. But as you can see, I am not Pastor Bill. Um, So Pastor Bill on Friday night started not feeling well. Saturday morning woke up and was really not feeling well. And so he called the bullpen and he pulled in the righty which is me. And so um, there's a theory called Parkinson's law that says this, your work expands to fill the time allotted for its completion, meaning you'll take as much time as you were given to accomplish a task. And I usually like to spend a couple weeks thinking through and planning a message because I'm not Pastor Bill, Um, but I've had less than 24 hours. So I thought it would be appropriate to start this service off with some prayer. Are you with me? So let's pray. Lord, please speak to us this morning. Open our hearts so that we can hear you and only you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is Christmas season. We are singing Christmas songs at church. How many of you get excited for Christmas? Awesome. I I love Christmas. I love the season. There are some things Um, that I associate with Christmas that I've, over the years, I'm sure you do the same thing. And one of those is Christmas movies. Do you love Christmas movies? Okay, two people, awesome. We'll get together later and we'll watch a movie together. So I'm gonna name some Christmas movies. And if you like these movies, you can cheer or just be quiet. Whatever you wanna do, um, it's your choice. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Yep, um, it's inappropriate. You should feel bad for yourself for watching that movie. Home Alone. Okay, awesome. Uh, One of my favorites, Elf. Yeah, okay. And then probably the biggest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. If you don't agree, you can argue with your uh, spouse or whatever on the way home. Um, But I also associate uh, snacks with Christmas. And I know I don't look like it, but yes, I do. And I associate Christmas cookies. If you like Christmas cookies, it's always a fun time to make uh, cookies. I associate, because my granddad used to make fudge for Christmas, and so I associate fudge with Christmas. And then probably one of our favorite chefs of all time, uh, Little Debbie, um, she makes these awesome Christmas trees around Christmas, and me and my family, we love to eat those. And another thing that is cool about Christmas is Christmas traditions. How many of you have Christmas traditions? Okay, a couple of you. Um, do you dress up? Do you wear the same uh, PJs? Some families do that. That's a lot of coordination. You have to really be on that to do that. We've never got there. One of the traditions that my wife and I have had since we got married is when we go on trips, we get an ornament from the place that we visit and we'll put it on the tree that next year. For instance, we went to the Holy Land one year called Graceland. And um, so we got an Elvis to hang 
up on the tree. Uh, we went to Santa Fe one year and we got a little ornament from the spiral staircase at the chapel. If you ever been there, that's pretty cool. But we like to do things and with our family, they are into it now. So anywhere we go, we'll get an ornament and that will be what goes up on the tree the next year. Uh, one thing that I thought was a family tradition was that we would watch the movie uh, White Christmas every year because I love that movie. And then I realized it wasn't really a family tradition because about a few minutes in, my kids would disappear. And then halfway through, my wife would go to bed. And so what I thought was a family tradition ended up being me watching an old movie by myself. And so it's not really such a tradition, but there is a tradition that I know is gonna happen every year with my parents. And I know in my stocking, there are gonna be two things that I receive. And those two things are, amongst others, are orange Tic Tacs and from my dad, lottery tickets. I mean, there is no better way to celebrate the birth of our savior than with some scratch offs, am I right? <laughs> but I know that that's coming and I know that, that tradition is there because we have anticipation and we have anticipation of Christmas. As a kid, I remember um, getting up early because I was so excited about what was gonna be underneath the tree. It was the only time that my parents did not have to wake me up when it was early because I was gonna be up. And if you have kids, you've kind of seen it. I have kids and I see that we had to finally put a time when they could come out of their rooms before on Christmas morning. Because if not, we would be up at 3 a.m. opening Christmas presents. But the anticipation and the things we do continues even as we get older. As you get older, you have to make sure that you buy all the gifts. Thank the Lord for Amazon, am I right? But you buy all the gifts and you wrap the presents and you get under, under the, the tree. But one of the biggest things as an adult, the anticipation is getting your house ready for Christmas, decorating the house. How many of you decorate your house for Christmas? Okay, so at my house, the rule is, the ladies, the girls, my wife and my daughter take care of the inside. And then the manly men, me and my son, we take care of the outside. Now, I don't like to brag, but last Christmas was our first year in our new neighborhood. And we just happened to get third place in the Christmas decoration contest. Now, I don't, I don't like to brag about it because there were only four people that put an entry in for the competition. But we didn't get last, and that's what I'll take. Um, but one thing we did this year is I bought a new inflatable that was a giant Santa, and he holds on the front the days until Christmas is coming. Why? Because we wait in anticipation. I mean, for us, it's something to look forward to because we know it's coming. All we have to do is look on the calendar and find December 25th, and then we, the days before, we get ready. The Advent calendar, which is known as a church calendar, um, is there's a season called Advent, right? In the liturgical calendar. And Advent is the waiting on the coming of the Messiah. It's the anticipation of Jesus coming. And what's interesting is for us, it's easy to look at and realize what had happened, but think about those who were before Jesus, those that were the people of God that were waiting for the Messiah, that were waiting for Jesus to come, Emmanuel, God with us. It was a major time of waiting and anticipation. 
Last week, uh, Pastor Bill spoke on that Jesus was a child of prophecy. That prophets for many, many hundreds of years talked about the coming of a savior, the Messiah who would come and save God's people. And this was years before he ever came. And what's cool is a while back, they did a study on these prophecies and they did um, the probability of Jesus actually fulfilling eight prophecies from the Old Testament from when he was here, eight. And they came up with this, um, this number to show you the chances of this actually happen, happening. And it's one in 10 to the 17th power. And I put, it up, I put it up here for you. I think we have, there it is, because I have no idea how to say that number. So I just wanted you to see it. It's a one with 17 zeros following. This was the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies in his life. And for me to think through that number, I'm like, ah, this doesn't even, doesn't, I can't process even what that looks like. But what's cool is in this study, they did an example of what it would be like. And it's helpful to us because it actually has to do with Texas where we live. And so what it would be like, that number would be like taking that many um, silver dollars, okay? And you take uh, 10 to the 17th power and that many silver dollars and you just lay them out in Texas. The thing about that many silver dollars is it would actually cover the whole state of Texas, not only just cover the whole state of Texas, it would actually be two feet of silver dollars in the state of Texas, which means anywhere you and I were to walk, to drive, to ride our bike, anywhere we would take a step, even in this church, we would be walking on two feet of silver dollars. You with me so far? Okay, that's that number. That's the, the 10 to the 17th power. Then you take the one. That would be like me going and taking one of the silver dollars amongst all of these, all of Texas, and I would pick it up and I would mark it with an X and I would throw it back in the pile. And then we'd mix the whole state of Texas, all these coins all up. And that X would be somewhere in there. And then I'm gonna take you to Dallas. We're gonna go to Dallas. I'm gonna blindfold you. And as I say that, that sounds really creepy, but I'm gonna take you to Dallas. You're gonna be blindfolded and I'm gonna say, okay, you can, you can go in any direction you want, walk as long as you want, as long as you stay in Texas. And when you are ready to stop, you're just gonna go, you're still blindfolded. You're gonna stop. You're gonna bend down and you're gonna reach in and you're gonna pull out a coin, hoping to find the one with the X. Seems impossible, right? That's the same probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. Here's what's crazy. Jesus didn't fulfill eight prophecies. He actually fulfilled over 400. And that's the God that we serve. But when you look at the things on this side of Advent, you look at the things on this side of having the Bible and you see the whole story, you see that God, when he made a promise, it always happened every time, all of them. But I started to think what it would be like if we were on the other side of Advent. What if we were in God's people before Jesus in the Old Testament, and we'd been waiting for hundreds of years for this Messiah, this Emmanuel to come? How difficult would it be to wait and to have faith? But then I started thinking, you know, maybe it's not too bad. I mean, think about it. I mean, they saw, Jesus, they saw God everywhere, right? 
I mean, you saw God lead them, the Israelites, cloud by day, fire by night. You could see God leading his people. Okay, God, I know you're here. You could hear God. God would speak to people through visions and through dreams and through angels, even a burning bush. God's voice was heard. You could experience God through miracles and through signs and through wonders. You knew that God was very present. But how difficult would it be if God was silent? Because there is a period of time where God was silent. It's called the intertestamental period. It's the time from the end of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, all the way up to the first word in Matthew. And for us, it's a page term, but for God's people, it was 400 years of hearing nothing from God. God going from being very present, we see him leading, we hear him talking to us, we see his miracles, his signs, his wonders, and then nada. God is silent. How difficult would that be to wait and to have faith when you don't hear God say a word? Probably some of us in here feel that same way. Maybe you've been praying for something. Maybe you're having faith for something. Maybe you're believing in something and you have heard nothing from God. I want you to hear me. Just because God feels silent doesn't mean he's absent. He is very present. God is working. This morning, I wanna look at Galatians chapter four, verses four through five. And it's so interesting. So if you're, if you're there, go to your, your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, it's gonna be on the screen. It says this. But when the set time, those are two important words. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, Christians believe this. If you're a follower of Christ, you believe this happened. You believe that God sent his son Emmanuel, meaning God with us, God became fully man as he was fully, fully God. And he was God and he was man in flesh, right? God in flesh. And he was here and he walked the earth and he lived a perfect life. So later he could become a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. No longer do we have to pay the penalty and die for our sins because Christ took the sins of the world and put them on himself and went to the cross and died that death. Like that's what we believe. We believe that God sent that, right? This is what this verse is saying. Born of a woman, which was a prophecy, born under law, a prophecy, to redeem those under the law, which is us, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Once we know what God did and we believe that Jesus died on the cross and we put our faith in him, you and I become adopted into God's family. We become his sons and his daughters. And as Christians, that's what we believe but I want you to catch what it says in the beginning. But when the set time, see the set time, the Greek translation is pleroma chrono. Chrono meaning chronology, meaning a clock, meaning time, and pleroma meaning complete and the full measure. When you put those two words together, it means perfect 
time. There's another translation that says this, the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. And this phrase literally means fully pregnant. Now, some of you have experienced that. Some of you have had a baby and you've gone to the hospital, you were there when you're fully pregnant, ready to go. I have experienced that in some way. I may look a little pregnant, but I'm not. But I've been in the delivery room where my wife has delivered both of our children and I've seen what fully pregnant looks like. And this is what it means. And this has to do with God's timing. Um, When it's not time, you can't force it. Am I right, ladies? I mean, I could sit there and I could be like, come on, Amanda, get it out of there. And unless it's time, it's not coming. When it's not time, you can't force it. And when it's time, you can't stop it. And that is God's timing. It's never early. It's never late. It's always on time because it's perfect. But thinking about the 400 years of silence, God being very present, and then it seeming like God was gone and you couldn't hear him or see him. Um, And then all of a sudden, after the 400 years, Jesus appears. To me, as I look at it from an outside view, it does not seem like good timing. It doesn't seem like perfect timing, God, that you would just kind of disappear for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, now the Savior is here. Um, It doesn't seem like perfect timing until you dig a little deeper into what actually happened in the 400 years. So we're gonna look historically what went on in those 400 years. Do we have any history buffs in here? Do we have anybody that kind of likes history? Do we have anybody that's feeling buff? I don't know, let's, let's find something that we have in common. So we're gonna look at five important things that happened historically during this 400 years that I think is gonna show us that God was actually up to something. The first thing is Alexander the Great conquered the world, get this, in 12 years. First of all, if you can conquer the world in 12 years, you will get great in your name, okay? Just saying that. But you may be asking, what is the significance of this? The significance is because he ruled the world now for the first time in history, there was one common language. That's interesting, right? Now everyone spoke Greek. The second thing is this, during the the time of silence in this 400 years, the Bible, which was in Hebrew, was then translated into a language that everyone now spoke, which is Greek. I'll take Greek for 500, Alex, good job. Number three, there was a new way of teaching that happened during this time. It's called the Socratic method. And it was a two-way communication where people no longer were encouraged just to sit there and listen, but instead they were encouraged to ask questions, which that's very important. Number four, in 63 BC, the Romans actually overtook the Greeks, okay? So because they overtook the Greeks, there was a weird period of time that was just very peaceful, which was not common back then. And so because it was so peaceful, the Romans did not have to spend time fighting battles. And so instead what they did is they developed roads and highways and a transportation system like the world had never seen. And then the last thing, it's called diaspora. 
It was an odd time um, where Jews were actually not allowed to live in Jerusalem. So they were kicked out. They were dispersed. But where were they dispersed? They were dispersed to the whole world. They couldn't be there. So they were dispersed to the entire Roman world. Now, some of you may hear this and be like, I don't know what this has to do with anything. These are random. And when you add them up all together, you get to see God doing something cool when you thought he was silent. In the 400 years when people were wondering where God was and what God was doing, suddenly for the first time, everyone could read the Bible in a language they understood. For the first time, they were not only allowed, they were encouraged to ask questions to God who was about to send the answer and his name was Jesus. For the first time in the history of the world, the good news of a savior could travel through common language across roads and highways through a Jewish people who were now dispersed throughout the entire world. The fact that it's been translated no longer can only Jews read the Bible, but now Jews and Gentiles and beyond could understand who God was and how much he loved them. While God's people were waiting, God was working. Even though he was silent, he was very much present. And he does the same for you and he does the same for me. While we're praying, while we're wondering, hoping, asking and waiting, the God of the universe is working. You may be here today and you feel like you're in a holding pattern. Like you're waiting for God to do something with a situation or do something in your life. And you, you're just there thinking he's silent. You may be wondering, what did I do wrong? You may be wondering, God, did I fail? God, God did I disappoint you? Is that why nothing is happening? But I want you to know if you're waiting this morning on anything, you are not alone. Let me give you some examples. Abraham and Sarah, they waited 25 years for their son Isaac to be born. Joseph, who had a, a vision to rule and to lead and to influence and to save, he had to wait 13 years before that come to fruition. And most of those years, he was in prison for a crime he didn't commit. A woman with an issue of bleeding waited 12 years, which I can only imagine in agony, waiting for the day that she could actually touch the hem of the robe of Jesus and hear him say, your faith has healed you. And then you have the example of a man who couldn't walk. And he waited 38 years before he was placed at the feet of Jesus. And he heard these words that changed his life forever take up your mat and walk. See, God's delays aren't necessarily God's denials. Just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't. Maybe, just maybe, it's not time for it to happen yet. Maybe you're waiting on the answer. Maybe you're waiting on a miracle, a provision. Maybe you're here this morning, uh, living that single life and you're waiting for a relationship, whatever it is, maybe, just maybe, you were waiting 
because you're not ready. Have you ever thought about it that way that maybe something hasn't happened in your life because God is saving you from something? So often we see that people just jump the gun that we settle because we don't want to wait. So what should we do in the time of waiting? And I wanted to tell you, don't waste the waiting. Don't waste the waiting. So um, when I was in my early 20s, um, not that long ago, okay? Um, in my early 20s, I was on staff at a church and I was a single guy. And for some reason, if you're a single guy on staff at a church, everybody and their mother has somebody that they think you would be perfect with. And so all the time, people were trying to set me up. And I don't think it was because I was charming. I think I was just the only guy around maybe. Um, but always, I finally got to the point and I was like, man, God, I don't, I don't wanna date just to date. Like I, I'm, I wanna meet my wife. I know I wanna be married one day. I wanna meet my wife. And so until God, God, I'm committing to you. Until you put my wife in front of me, I'm not gonna date. Now, I didn't know that he was gonna wait three years um, or I might not have said that, but I waited. And what happened is the first time that I actually met my wife face to face, you notice I said wife, because I met her for the first time. I knew eight weeks later, I proposed. A couple months later, we got married. We've been married almost 16 years. Now, I don't, I saw a golf clap. I'll take a golf clap. She was here last service. I said, you should be clapping for her because she's been dealing with that for longer. But the thing is, um, I don't know that that's necessarily the blueprint for uh, people. If you're single, uh, waiting to get married eight weeks, that's not a long time. But the cool thing was that as I waited for those three years, she had also been doing the same thing. And what was cool is while we were waiting, God was working on us. I wanna show you something. You need to know that nothing is wasted with God. And we see this in Isaiah 64, verse four. It says, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. And then catch what it says at the end. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. While you are in the period of waiting, you have the God of the universe who acts on your behalf. Don't waste time while you wait on God because if you wait for his timing, it's gonna be perfect every time. He moves on your behalf. He responds, he initiates. And here's the, I think the best one, he interrupts. How many times in your life have you done something early and you realize that later I should have waited a little longer? So often we, we think that, um, I mean, cause think about it. We have instant oatmeal, instant rice. We have a lot of things with instant. We don't like to wait for things, but there's times in our life where, where God says, wait. And then we say, I'm gonna wait Lord until the next day. And then you see, like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that job. I'm gonna get in that relationship. I'm gonna make that decision, even though I don't have a clear answer from you, God, because I think this will be okay. How many times have you settled for good when God has great just around the corner? It happens all the time. He interrupts, 
He interrupts on your behalf because I don't know how many times that I need God to say, hey, let me interrupt this for a minute. This is a bad idea. Um, let's, let's not do this right now. Why does he do this? Because he loves us. Because he cares for us. See, he has not forgetting, uh, forgotten about you. He is working on you and for you. So we need to allow him to do that. See, having peace in your waiting happens because you know God's plan is coming. So the season of Advent that I talked about earlier, there's actually two parts to it. You have the first part of God's people as they waited for the coming of the Savior, which we know has already happened. But there's also a second part that applies to you and applies to me and it happens in the New Testament. And it's actually the return of the Messiah. See, Jesus is coming back one day. That's the anticipation that you and I have to look forward to. But a lot of times I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, have you ever heard said this? Oh, Lord, come, right? Jesus, come, I need you to come now. The world is a, is a rough place. You see something on the news, oh, Jesus, please come. I don't know how many times I've heard that and I've probably said that myself. Why do we say that? Because we want him to hurry up and to come get us so that we can spend eternity with the Father. But I want you to catch what it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, when it comes to um, patience and waiting. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason Jesus hasn't returned any sooner is so that all should come to repentance. All of us should come to know the living Savior who died on the cross for our sins and for us to give him our lives. Here's a question for you. What if the God you are waiting for is actually waiting for you? What if we keep sitting here saying, God, tell me, where are you? I, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And God's like, I'm right here and I'm waiting for you. What if God wants to do something in you, wants to do something to you so he can actually do something through you? What if there's some things in your life that God needs to chip away at? Maybe, what if there's some things in your life that God, he wants you to get rid of. And he's waiting on you to get rid of those things. He's waiting on you to chip those things away so he can do something incredible through you that he has planned right down the road. But he's not gonna do it before. Why? Maybe because if he were to do it now, you couldn't handle it. I love that God keeps things from me sometimes because I know if he were to give them to me early, I would mess it up. Remember, God's timing is perfect. He is patient because he wants people to know him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. The reason that Jesus hasn't come back is because he wants more people to hear about him. He wants more people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But what I used to do when I would hear this verse, I would say, oh, Jesus isn't coming back because not everybody's become a Christian yet. Not everybody's become, I would put it on the people who were lost. But I don't think that's it. 
I think, I think that's a part of it, but I think there's also a part on those of us who have followed Jesus, who call ourselves Christians. I think there's something on it for us too. See, I think he is patient because he wants people to know him, but he's also patient because he wants those who do know him to make him known. We can't just put this all on people who don't know Jesus of why the Lord has not returned yet. Because I think God has called us to love God with all that we are and to love others. We don't do work for God because we are trying to earn salvation. That is every other major religion in the world. We do work because we have salvation. That's why we do things for Jesus is because we know what he's done for us. He is patient. He loves us and he is waiting for us. We are here because God isn't done. He still has a purpose and a plan for our lives. He is patient because he loves us. The other thing about major um, religions in this world is all other ones are where you have to pursue God. You have to do the works. You have to do the right things. You have to earn favor with God. And if you do something wrong, you lose the favor with God. It's all about you. But Christianity is different because Christianity is all about a God who pursues us. Let me read that verse again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Said he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. That doesn't sound like it's about God. It sounds like it's about me and it's about you and those who don't know who Jesus is. He sent Jesus so that no one should perish. He is a child worth following. He is a child worth living for. He is a child worth waiting for. And he invites us to Trust in his goodness today and his faithfulness tomorrow. Are you there? I know Christmas, um, it kind of drowns a little bit in spending a lot of money to buy gifts. And um, sometimes Jesus is kind of an afterthought, maybe an inflatable in my yard or something like that. But it really is, what, what what are we doing? What are we celebrating here? What are we waiting for? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. As we have our eyes closed, I wanted to end a little different this morning. I wanted to say a prayer. And I know there's people that are here that um, maybe have never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe, man, you have questions or maybe you're ready. Maybe God is tugging at your heart, but you've never made a decision to follow him. And maybe you were here this morning and you, you have made the decision to follow Jesus. You call yourself a Christian, but maybe God this morning is tugging at your heart to, to work on some things, maybe some things in your life, or maybe uh, even to get out and do more, more for God to start serving, to start showing people the love of Christ. And so this morning, we're gonna say a prayer all together. And I'm gonna ask you to repeat me. If you feel comfortable, you can repeat it out loud. If you do not, you can repeat it in your heart. So let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, I surrender my life. Today, I give you all of me. Jesus, save me. Forgive the filth. Forgive the sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you, so I can show your love, so I can do your will. My life is not mine. I give it all to you, every bit. Today, thank you for new life. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.